0: Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and you can also put a bookmark in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, We are continuing our series called Pray Like This, but we're going to take one week and step outside of the Lord's Prayer uh, to look at some of the other biblical teaching on prayer. And then next week, we're going to finish up the Lord's Prayer by looking at how the resurrection answers that ending of that most beautiful prayer in Scripture. I want to thank Nick again for being here this week to lead us in worship. Uh, Pastor Cameron will be back next week for Easter. Uh, He's enjoying celebrating uh, the Linder wedding, and so uh, we're celebrating with them from afar and grateful for that. And uh, he'll be joining us back again next week. Uh, Do you want to Direct your attention just one more time to the invitations to Easter services. Um, This is one of the times during the year where people are most likely to respond to an invitation to come to church. And so I hope you'll take advantage of the invitations we've provided for you to invite friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors. And I hope that you will join us this evening at 5 p.m. in the fellowship hall as we uh, pray there and then as we go out into our neighborhoods uh, just to invite people to church. I hope you'll join us. We need your help to invite our neighbors, and so I hope you'll come join us for that at 5 o'clock this evening. Prayer can be difficult sometimes, Um, unanswered prayer particularly, because unanswered prayer sometimes leaves us asking this question Does prayer actually change things? Does it actually matter? Does it actually do anything? Some of us, we spend years praying for the salvation of loved ones and family members only to, to see them continue down the path they're headed on. Some of us pray for, for a, a child who has walked away from the faith for years. Some of us pray that someone who's wronged us would, would, would finally see what they did that damaged the relationship and that they would turn from that and turn back and reconcile with us. Sometimes we pray for a loved one to be healed when they're sick in the hospital and and it doesn't happen. Sometimes we pray that God would provide what we need financially and, and somehow we miss a bill and we wonder, does prayer actually do anything? Because sometimes in life when we pray, it seems like God doesn't answer our prayers or he at least doesn't answer in the way that we're wanting him to And we're left wondering, does prayer change things? Does prayer matter? Is it effective and powerful? And so I want to take just a few moments today for us to look at those questions, to look at the question of, of, does prayer change things? And then secondly, if prayer changes things, okay, what then is necessary for prayer to be answered? So if prayer changes things, then How do I pray the kinds of prayers that get answered? So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be uh, all over scripture today looking at different things that the Bible has to say about prayer, about unanswered prayer, and about uh, the ways that God answers prayers and why. But we're going to start our time together in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, and we'll go down through verse 11. Here's what Jesus says. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So this is some of the most profound teaching on prayer. And the reason is not because it's complicated teaching on prayer or it's it's really profound. The reason is because it's simple. The reason it's so amazing is because Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you is Jesus saying that every prayer that we pray will be answered the way that we want it to be answered? No. But Jesus is saying and promising that God does answer prayer. This is a really comforting here to hear from thing to hear from the son of God himself that when we pray, God hears and he does respond. That God answers prayer, that when we ask, he answers. But the first thing that we have to notice from Jesus' words here is that we actually have to ask. We actually have to pray. See, sometimes in life we're found in the spot where we're just longing to see God do something, and we want him to do something so desperately, but the uh, the amount and the way in which we ask God or the the lack of asking God at all uh, conveys that we don't understand prayer. That we don't understand that our Father who is in heaven wants to answer the prayers of his children. That we can believe Jesus' words and actually ask God the things that we're concerned about. That we can ask. Jesus promises that we can ask and God does respond to prayer. But we have to actually pursue God. Jesus says, seek and you will find. So this idea of seeking conveys this idea of an active pursuit and so sometimes we, we may pray to God, but when we look at our own lives, there's no actual pursuit of who God is and what he wants for our lives. It, it, you know, just that word seek makes me, makes me think back to when I was a kid and I played hide and seek with friends or family members. And, and the thing about hide and seek is, is that if you're it and you're trying to find somebody, you can't just sit where you're at and do nothing. You can't just sit there and hope that you're going to be successful at hide and seek. And sometimes we come to prayer like that, where we just kind of sit there and think that if we'll just sit there and want it bad enough, then it'll happen. When in reality, God is wanting so much more for us in our relationship with him through prayer that we would constantly be pursuing him and seeking him out in a really active way. See, your prayer life is not just about the requests that you're making to God. It's about your pursuit of him and your relationship with him. And so sometimes the reason that we misunderstand prayer so much is because we've missed the pursuit of the one that prayer is to. See, Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. There's involved an active pursuit here. And then he says this idea, knock and it will be open to you. And so Jesus is talking about knocking on a door, right? So if you, if you think about you're wanting to go visit a, a friend or a family member and, and you're wanting to, them to answer their door, well, you have to actually go up to their door and knock on the door. You have to actually make the request, and then you have to make sure that you're knocking on the right door. So if you're wanting to go see Grandma Betsy and you go knock on your neighbor's door, then Grandma Betsy is not going to answer that door. You've got to go knock on Grandma Betsy's house. You've got to go knock on her door, and she'll open the door for you. And so in our lives, we've got to learn to pursue God in an active way. And when we come to God in prayer, we're not praying to the universe to be good to us. We're not praying to Allah or any other God. We are praying to the God of the Bible. Prayer must be to a specific person, Prayer doesn't work if it's just hypothetical words that we lob up in the air. We have to knock on God's door. We have to come to God himself and seek him out in prayer. One of the the greatest things about prayer is that through prayer you get to know the God who made you. And so Jesus says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. And what he's getting at is that God will respond to you. He's not saying he's going to respond the way that you want him to. He's not saying that your prayers are always going to be answered the way you would like them to be. But he's saying if you pursue God, God is not going to hide himself from you. If you come to God and ask things of him, he's a good and gracious father that wants to give good gifts to his children. And so that's the thing about prayer is sometimes we're asking for things that God in his infinite wisdom has determined are not actually good for us. Jesus said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more does God, your heavenly father, know how to give good gifts and is willing to give them to his children? So Jesus gives us confidence in approaching God and, and says, you, you've actually got to pray and make requests of him. You've got to consistently and persistently seek out God and his will, and you've got to go to the real one true God himself. And then we see in Exodus 32, we can learn some things from Moses about prayer. Exodus 32, verses 7 through 14. Moses demonstrates that God responds to our prayers. Here's what we read. Moses has just gone up to get the Ten Commandments from God, and and he's been conversing with God and and is with God, and he's about to go back down to the people. And here's what we read in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, "'Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, "'have corrupted themselves.'" They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So Israel has, this is what's astounding about this passage in the Bible, is that the last month of Israel's journey has been incredibly profound. They've seen God work in ways that you and I have probably never seen. See, they saw God deliver them through a series of ten supernatural plagues. And then as they're leaving their captors in Egypt, they, they plunder them. They take from them their gold and their jewelry as though it's nothing. This people that has oppressed them for hundreds of years, they take the things that are valuable with them. And they're heading out and they've taken all the things that are valuable and all the riches of of Egypt with them. And they're headed and they they come to this sea and their, their captors are pursuing them. And God splits the sea in two. And they walk across it on dry ground. And their enemies are crushed behind them. And then Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with the God who has done all of this. And he's up there for a few days, or or a couple weeks, or or however long it was, and and Israel already has forgotten what God has done for them. See, we're a forgetful kind of people, human beings. We are so tempted to forget all the good things that God has brought into our lives, all the ways that he's worked in us, all the ways that he has worked in the lives of our loved ones, that when we come to him in prayer sometimes, we, we, we do so as though he's never done anything for us. We forget who he is and what he's done, and then we're tempted to go and worship other things because we believe that they can actually deliver on what they're promising, Just like the Israelites here, they made their own gods with their own hands. See, you and I, we're tempted to believe that what we can do, what we can make, can actually provide for us in ways that God can't. And it's audacious and ridiculous when we say it that way, but in our daily lives, this is what we do we trust in our finances. To provide for us, we trust in our relationship with a significant other to bring us joy and satisfaction. We trust in our children to do the same thing. We put all our hope in all these earthly things, asking them to be gods for us, saying, These are your gods. These are what have delivered you and brought you out of your pain and suffering. And we trust in the things that we make and the things that are around us rather than trusting in the God who made us. And so this is where Israel is at and and God tells Moses to go down because they've corrupted themselves in this way. And then he he says this in verse 9, The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God just said, I've seen the way that my people have forgotten me and rebelled against me. And so Moses, don't pray for them. That's what God just said. He said, let me alone so that I can carry out my just judgment on them and I'll start over with you. Have you ever caught that, that, that God just told someone not to pray? Let me alone. Leave me alone. That didn't hit me until this week as I was reading this passage that, that God had ever said that to someone. And then Moses doesn't respond by So we see this pattern here. Israel sins against God, rebels against him, forgets what God has done for them. And then uh, God's response is, okay, I'm going to judge them for their sin against me. They've forgotten how I've acted on their behalf. They've decided to pursue and worship other things and other gods in place of me, even though I've done all of this on their behalf. And then he says, Moses, don't even pray for them because they deserve what's coming. But Moses responds by interceding for them says, he, Moses implored the Lord his God on their behalf. Do you think that God, when he said, Moses, let me alone, do you think that he knew that Moses was going to pray? I do. The Bible testifies that God knows all things. And, and it's really profound that we read in, in this passage here, not just that God is going to judge his people for their sin, But he says, let me alone, which gets Moses thinking, I need to pray for this people because they've just rebelled against God. And so Moses responds to God's conversation with him with prayer for the people. And then we see something even more profound than that. In verse 14, it says, and the Lord relented from the disaster. And so God changed his mind. He turned from what his course of action that he'd prescribed was. He decided he was going to do something different in response to Moses's prayers. And so this leaves us with a problem. If God knows everything, then does prayer actually change God's mind? Because how could it? The Bible says this in Isaiah 46, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. See in Isaiah we read that God declares the end of history from its beginning. That God declares the things that will come in the future from ancient times. That God will accomplish all of his plans, everything that he sets out to do. And then we read in, in, in Psalms, in Psalm 139, we read this, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Your, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So what that just said, what the psalmist just told us is that God knows every word you will speak before you speak it. That God plans every day of your life before you live it. And so what the scriptures are testifying to us about God is that he's omniscient. He knows all things. Nothing surprises God. And so what this means is that God knows your prayers before you pray them. And if God knows your prayers before you pray them, then does prayer actually change anything? If God has planned out your days and knows the words you're going to speak before you speak them, He knows what you're going to pray before you pray it. And so does prayer actually change God's mind? In Exodus 32, we read that it does. It's not that God doesn't know that this is coming, that he doesn't see this, that he doesn't know what's going to happen because we just read that he knows your days before they ever come, and he knows your words before you ever speak them. And so he knows Moses is going to implore him on Israel's behalf. See, here's the answer to this problem that we have. If God is omniscient and all-knowing, then does prayer actually change things? The answer to that question is yes, it does. Because we just saw it. We just saw God was going to judge his people and Moses prayed and then God didn't. God changed his course of action. But it's not that God didn't know and that God didn't plan this. In fact, that's exactly what happened. You see, the answer to our problem is that God plans to accomplish his purposes through your prayers. That God, in his infinite wisdom and goodness, has planned to respond to your prayers, to the prayers of his people. That, that God has seen your words from before you speak them to him and has planned to respond to them in the way that needs to be done. This is what he's done with Moses and with the people of Israel here is he has planned to respond to Moses' prayer. It's not that Moses' prayer surprised him. It's that this was his plan all along was for Moses to intercede on their behalf and for him to respond by relenting from the disaster and by working on, in a benevolent way for his people. Your prayers are part of God's plans and purposes for the universe. Your prayers are part of God's plans of redemption and restoration. And so you have to pray for the salvation of your loved ones. Not because you have the power to change God and what God's going to do. But because God has planned to respond to your prayers. So we pray for our loved ones because God plans to respond to those prayers. We, we pray for the end of things like racism and terrorism because God has planned to bring about peace and justice and redemption and restoration through the prayers of his people and through the preaching of his word. See, if we think about the way that someone comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that this only happens through the preaching of the word of God through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel message. This message that God has done everything on our behalf to make us right with him in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that if we will place our faith in him, then we can be reconciled to him. That as we preach and proclaim that message, God's word goes out and and he brings change through the power of his spirit in people's hearts, but he uses means to accomplish this. He uses you and I to share this gospel, to preach and proclaim it to those who don't know it. This is why we send missionaries to the field. This is why we pray for missionaries as they go. This is why we do these things, because God has planned and purposed them for his plans and purposes. That God has planned to use your prayers and your preaching of his gospel to bring about the work that he's doing in the world. Your prayers are part of God's all-knowing, wise, good plans. And so we see from Jesus that that God answers prayer, and we see from Moses that that God does respond to our prayers in a genuine way because he's, he's in fact, planned to do so. so. So if this is true, then what is necessary for answered prayer? If Jesus tells us that God does answer prayer, and Moses demonstrates to us that, that God has responded to the prayers of his people, then what is necessary for our prayers to be answered? What is necessary for answered prayer? Because sometimes it seems like God doesn't answer, or at least that he doesn't answer the way that we would want him to. One, I think it's, it's necessary that you come to God in the name of Jesus and not your own. Jesus teaches this repeatedly, and the scriptures attest to it. In John 14 and 16, we read this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then in John 16, in, the day that, you, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. See, apart from Jesus, our name has no standing before God. Jesus is the one that makes prayer possible. See, you and I, we, we, like the people of Israel in Exodus 32, have rebelled against God in so many different ways, and we've chosen our own ways. And we have, in fact, made this separation between us and God. We've said, My way is better, and I'm going to pursue it, just like the people of Israel did in Exodus 32 in so many different ways. And the, Isaiah testifies that our sins have separated or hidden God's face from us. So when we're not in relationship with God, we cannot ask things of God expecting Him to respond. Because there's no relationship there. And so we need someone to make us right with God. And in Second Corinthians five, we read that Jesus is the one who has done this. For our sake, he he talking about God the Father made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, in Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So there's this beautiful exchange that's happened. Where Jesus has taken our sin upon himself and we have received Jesus' righteousness so that when you and I stand before God, if we're trusting in Christ, we are praying in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your will be done, your kingdom come. We're praying as sons of the King through our faith in the Son of God. We come before God in Jesus' name, not our own. It's it's as though a king has married a poor peasant, and when that marriage takes place, all of a sudden that poor peasant has the king's name and all of the king's resources and access. This is what Jesus has done for us. So so while God may extend blessings on those who don't trust in Christ through his common grace because he's good, Apart from Jesus Christ, you have no confidence in your prayers to God because Jesus is the name by which we must approach God. We must approach God in Jesus' name, not our own. We must approach God with Jesus' righteousness, not our own. God hears the prayers of those who trust in Christ in, in the sense that he actively listens and wants to respond And if you're not trusting in Christ today, this isn't isn't a, a get out of here because you're not in Jesus. This is an invitation to come into the family of God, to hear that God wants a relationship with you and has made a way to make it possible, that God wants to respond to your prayers, that God wants to hear and listen to your prayers, and that he's made a way for that to be possible through his son. If you'll place your faith in him, that he reconciles us to God. Secondly, we see that uh, for answered prayer, it's necessary that you pray according to God's will and not your own. Uh, J.D. Greer uh, really helpfully points out this idea that a lot of times when we pray, we're we're praying against uh, God's uh, typical processes and ways of doing things. So oftentimes when we pray, we're, we're praying for miracles, and it's not bad to pray for miracles because God is always able to do a miracle because he's God. God is able to transcend the laws of physics and, 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 and science and, and the ways that he has ordered things because he's the one that's ordered them. And so it's not wrong to pray for miracles, but oftentimes you and I, we struggle with our prayer life because we're often praying for the miraculous, not understanding the meaning of the miraculous. The very idea that something is miraculous conveys the idea that it doesn't happen normally. That this is not normally the way that God responds. So it's not that we don't pray for miracles, it's just that we shouldn't always pray expecting that miracles are just going to happen because we've prayed. We've seen God do amazing miracles throughout Scripture, and and some of us have seen God work in miraculous ways in our own life. But the very definition of a miracle is that it's, it's supernatural, it's extraordinary, it's not normal. And so the idea that God didn't do a miracle when you prayed doesn't mean that God hasn't heard you and that God isn't listening. It's just that miracles are miracles. They're not the ordinary. And God does do them sometimes, and they're amazing, and we ought to praise him for it, and we ought to ask him for it sometimes. Sometimes all all the hope that we have for, for something this side of glory is that God would do a miracle, and so we ask. But we ask with understanding that miracles are not the normal way that God works, even though he can do them. And then in, in addition to, to often misunderstanding the idea of miracles, we, we often want what we want rather than what God wants. And so James put this, puts it this way, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And so, uh, you know, some helpful questions to ask ourselves are, are, are your prayers focused on what you want from God or what God wants for you? Are your, uh, do you pray that God will provide an amazing house, an amazing job, an awesome car to drive, or do you trust that God will f- respond to the prayer when you pray, God, provide my daily needs, my daily bread? Do you trust him for that? Do you pray that others will see their sin, or do you more often pray that God will show you yours? Do do you pray that God will help you use your singleness or your marriage for his glory and his kingdom, or do you pray that God would get rid of your singleness? Do you just always long for the next season in life, whether it's marriage or kids or grandkids? Are you praying away what God is doing now? It's not that we don't pray for any of these things, right? These things are all good things to pray for. A a nice house, a nice car, those aren't bad things. But when, when our prayers become centered on us and our own little kingdoms, we've missed what prayer is made to be about. And it's not us. It's the God who made us. That prayer is about his will being done, his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And that we would pray to those ends. James says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Well, what if we started praying about what God is passionate about? about his kingdom and his will and disciples being made and missionaries and church planters being sent and his church growing so that people come to know Jesus Christ in every location that the church is present? What if we started praying about the things that God is passionate about? I think we would see some answered prayer. Thirdly, it's necessary that you live according to God's will and not your own for answered prayer. First Peter 3, 7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman is the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So before I talk about that last phrase, with this verse, I always want to mention the idea here is not that women are somehow below men or less than men and just weak. The idea here is that women are valuable That they're to be honored as though they're beautiful and made in God's image and and treated like a, a vase that was worth thousands of dollars. That you wouldn't just throw that vase across the room like a football. That you would honor it and protect it and that it would be valued. This is the idea that Peter gets across here with husbands. He's saying, live with your wives in an understanding way that values them, that honors them, that seeks to understand them, and is for their good and their benefit. And he says, husbands, you need to do this so that your prayers won't be hindered. Did you know that the way that you treat your spouse affects your prayer life? Did you know that the way that you live your life matters for prayer? Are you loving your spouse and your kids as, as Scripture commands you to? Are you an honest and faithful employee at your job? Are, children, do you obey your parents and the Lord because Scripture tells you that this is good? Are are there areas of your life that you are holding back from God and rebelling against him in, thinking that it's okay to just have God touch this area of your life but not this one? Are there areas in life and ways in which you are struggling with sin that you are unwilling to turn from and turn back to the living God who has hope and joy for you? Are there ways in which you're continuing to sin against God and still expecting him to bless you? It's, it's not that you and I need to be perfect because Jesus has provided his righteousness for us. It's that scripture attests to this throughout the Bible, that if we understand what God has done for us, then we live changed lives seeking to honor him. And Paul and Peter and and the other authors, they say that this matters for our Prayer, relationship with God, as we're asking things of God, it matters how you're living your life. If you're living it for his glory or your own. So so the message here from 1 Peter 3 is, is turn from sin, rest in God's grace, walk in holiness, and pray unhindered. Fourthly, it's necessary that you accept God's answers and not your own. See, sometimes God's answers to your prayers are different than yours. Here's what God says in Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, or, or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And when Job is experiencing untold suffering and an amazing amount of pain as he's lost Everything, his business, his family, his everything. After Job has lost everything, he, he comes to God and he's, he's struggling with doubt and he's, he's asking God questions and, and God responds in Job 38, 4 and following, he, he begins with verse 4 and says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding." See, just like a child does not understand why their parent does the things that they do sometimes, so you and I are not going to always understand the way that God answers our prayers. We are not going to always understand what God does. His ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts. If you think about the differences between an eight-year-old and their parents in terms of wisdom and understanding... It's pretty vast, isn't it? But then if you think about us, regardless of your age and your experience in life and the difference between you and God, the difference there is infinitely greater. And so the idea that you would always understand what God is doing in your life is just ridiculous. He's god And there's great hope in that because because he's so different than us, because he's so much greater in knowledge and understanding, because he knows all things, we can actually trust him. That when we come to him in prayer, we don't just trust him with the request, but we trust him with the response. That we accept God's answers to our prayers, not just our own. That we trust that God's answers are better than ours, that He knows better, that He always does what is right and good and true, and sometimes we're not going to see it because we have a limited perspective. Sometimes God doesn't heal our loved ones and we don't understand. Sometimes everything that we have is lost in the flood or the tornado or the hurricane and we don't understand. Sometimes the criminal gets off easy and we don't understand. But there is never a moment in your life in which God does not understand. He knows all things, and you can trust him in each of those moments. Regardless of how confusing it is for you, it's never confusing for him. He knows what you don't know, and that means you can trust him. And finally, sometimes God's answers are more patient than yours. 2 Peter 3 says this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. See, friends, God is more patient than you in waiting for people to change. God is more patient than you in waiting for their repentance, and he desires it more than you do. No matter how hurt and wronged you feel, I promise you it's not as offensive as our sin against the God of the universe, who has made us and wants good for us, and so longingly wants us to be in a relationship with him. God, God is not slow as some count slowness. He's Patient and he's always more patient than you are. And so sometimes your prayers will be answered. The answer right now is just not yet. But that's not reason to 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 doubt God and not have hope in him. Because what, what Peter also promises is that the day of the Lord will come like a thief that there is a day coming where God is going to expose all the works that are done on the earth, that everything that is in darkness now, it will be brought to the light and it will be seen and displayed, that there is nothing, no injustice, no wrongdoing, no sin, no evil that is done on this planet that God has not planned to deal with and that he will not deal with swiftly and justly. God may be more patient than us, but that doesn't mean that he's not answering. This is why we have hope when we see injustice, when we're wronged, when things aren't the way that they should be, because that's how our life is right now. If we look around at what's happening around us and even sometimes the things happening in us, we see the ways in which we in our world need redemption and restoration. And God's just and good answers to our prayers in terms of prayers about wrongdoing will be answered either on the cross of Christ as those who trust in him find new life through the redemption that he has paid for. The answer to the prayer, forgive us our debts, is the cross of Christ. So God either answers there, or he answers at the end of days, when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, and every work is exposed to the light. So which one will you be today? Will you be the one that trusts in the cross of Christ and finds the answer to prayer in Jesus or will you be the one that awaits God's answer on the day of the Lord? Would you pray with me? Father, you are good and wise. You know all things. And not just do you know them, but you work benevolently, benevolently on our behalf. We can trust you because you've demonstrated your faithfulness countless times, again and again, and ultimately in the cross of Christ. So God, we celebrate you this morning, and we come to you with our requests. We come in the name of Jesus Christ, asking. We come to seek you and pursue you and know you more. And we come knocking, asking that you would open the door and that we might see you work for your glory and our good. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.